0: I'm Pastor Mike Winger, and this is Bible Thinker, the program dedicated to thinking biblically about everything. All right, you asked for it. You asked for me to look into the Hebrews Roots Movement right there. I actually asked you guys last year towards the end of the year, what was one topic you wanted me to cover, wanted me to talk about, wanted me to spend some time researching. And this is the thing that got the most votes from you, your votes, to say, hey, put this on the top of your list, Mike, and so I have. I've put it on the top of my list and I'm ready to actually talk about it now. Um, At least this will be the first video. I'll probably do one or two more on this topic because I think it just has to be done. There's so much to talk about. So in short, what is the Hebrew Roots Movement? What am I talking about? What is this about today? Um, The Hebrew Roots Movement is a growing movement of people, generally speaking, not Jewish people, so I say Hebrew roots, it's not about Jewish people here. They're um, they're mostly Gentile believers who are, are m- many of them, most of them believe in Jesus, um, who think that they should obey the law of Moses. If, if there's one theme that goes through the entire Hebrew roots movement, it's you should obey the law of Moses to the best of your ability. Um, now, some of them are Christians who think that it's a good idea and it's desired. God simply wants us. To obey the law of Moses, and they might call themselves Hebrew roots, or they might use the term messianic, or they might use another. They have lots of different terminologies they use. I don't think it's important to memorize those right now. Um, that's one group. It's just desired. Another group within the group says it's necessary for salvation. Like, if you don't do this, you will not be saved. Okay, that's a group within the group. They think it's necessary for salvation. Then there's another group. And they, not only do they think it's necessary, they reject the Apostle Paul and anything he wrote in the New Testament, they consider it not scripture. So they chuck the majority of the letters of the New Testament. Um, Then within that group, there's also another group that is those who actually reject Jesus himself. Okay, so this is not monolithic. I can't say this is Hebrew, Hebrew roots and just give it one label because within the big broad spectrum, there's this sort of... Disorganized developing group where there's some who are believers who think they should obey the law of Moses and others who are apostate, they're not Christians, they reject Jesus Christ. So, this is difficult to talk about because I can't just um, say Hebrew Roots is this because those within the movement will not agree with me. Um, so, I'm going to take the one commonality of, of the entire Hebrew Roots movement, and the commonality is the idea that um, we ought to obey the law of Moses. Some will say it's more than ought but they will all agree that you should obey the law of Moses as, um, as, as a believer in God today, we're going to talk about that issue. And I want to get into someone who's representative of this group. So this is, um, 119 ministries. I found them on, uh, on YouTube and I, I, I thank, uh, you guys for giving me the information to help track down who might represent the Hebrew roots group. They're a a fairly good-sized YouTube channel, and they have tons of video content. What I love about 119 Ministries, two things I like about them, because a lot I'll disagree with, but I'll start with what I like. First off, 119 Ministries, they're calm, they're thoughtful, um, they... They are discussing issues. Um, I like their attitude about it. But I also like that they will actually tackle the scriptures, right? They don't just give big sweeping arguments for obeying the law of Moses. They'll actually go to the actual verses of the Bible that we need to debate about. And they'll talk about them. Because I'll tell you what, I had a hard time finding anybody in the movement who would deal with, say, 1 Corinthians or Colossians or Ephesians, you know, who would actually look at Romans or Galatians. Um, I had, I'm not saying they don't exist, but I had a hard time finding them. And even some of the, some of the sort of, you know, figureheads of the movement, they'll just not even talk about these passages of scripture. And to me, that's a big Achilles heel in the movement, but 119 Ministries does. So I'm going to be dealing with them as I talk, do this sort of expose on, uh, the, um, the, uh, the Hebrew roots movement. Um, Okay. Welcome! Welcome to the live stream. This is the Tuesday live stream, currently on Tuesdays. This may be changing. Um, I'm Mike Winger. I'm a pastor. I also do apologetics and theology here on this live stream. And I don't just want to tell you what to believe. I want to tell you why I think you should believe it. And that's going to be the case here um, for, uh, for this issue with the Hebrew Roots Movement. If you have questions for me today, we're changing the way we do our questions for the live stream. So listen in. If you want to ask questions, you need to type the capital letter Q into the live chat when you're asking the question. And that'll just help us because the live chats, they're coming in so fast nowadays that we're not really able to keep up. Um, And so it just becomes a little bit like like hectic, just trying to keep up with all your guys' content. So we don't wanna miss your questions. Type Q, capital Q. If then then you type your question out. If you want to ask a question on topic, it's more likely to get answered at the end of the live stream. If it's off topic, it's less likely to be answered. If you ask a lot of questions, chances are only one of those will get through. So just, you know, be just letting you know the lay of the land. So there it is. Um I'm also supposed to put this chat on slow, but I I don't Remember how (laughs) I should have looked into how to do that. I'm sorry, guys. Um, AJ, if you have the ability to put it on slow, you can. We're trying to get some more chat moderators too, because just it's been really great having a lot of contact uh, and back and forth with you guys there in the live chat. So yes, this is live. I'm really here with you right now. And um, here we go. First, a disclaimer. Here's my disclaimer. I love the Old Testament law. I love the Law of Moses. I think it's beautiful. I think it's wonderful. I think it's great. I don't want to get rid of it. I don't want to unhitch from it. I think it's wonderful. And it's... Gr- it's Okay, I have so far, what, a 19, 18-part series on the Old Testament on, on my YouTube channel. I'm still doing it. It's Jesus in the Old Testament. I just finished teaching about the symbolism of Jesus in the sacrifices of the book of Leviticus. I love the Old Testament Law. This is not, uh, not some some attack against that. No, um, however, it's about the application of the law. That's the question. How should we apply it in our lives today? I think we're not under the law. I think that we're not even desired by God to obey the law. And I'm going to make my case for this in the, in the next couple of weeks. Um, I, we're not Israel and we're not supposed to act like we are. That's my, my short version here. But what we're going to do right now to analyze this stuff, I've got 119 Ministries, their video, which is called, um, video series, which is called the Pauline Paradox, where they go into a bunch of passages from Paul. Now, before they ever get to Paul, they spend like two hours before they get to Paul talking about a bunch of other stuff. Well, that's the stuff I'm going to talk about, because I'll tell you what, it's not their, just being honest here, it's not their interpretations of Paul that gets you on board with their theology. It's everything they say before they're willing to talk about Paul. That's what we're going to talk about today. That's the stuff we'll do. I have a link to their video in the description. If you'd like to look the whole video yourself, you're welcome to, but I'll be playing clips from them. And the first clip is this one right here. And this is something I kind of like about them, even though this is a little bit manipulative, but here you go. What did 119 ministry say about the possibility of them being wrong? Because they're actually inviting me to critique them. And so I'm just taking up
1: that offer. Here we go. Listen in. This teaching could be wrong. You are required to test it. In fact, if this teaching is wrong and you know it, there is a responsibility on you to let us know using the word of God and correct us.
0: They straight up told me I have to do it. So I'm like, okay, I will. But here we go. Listen again to what else they say. It's not only a request to like say, hey, you know, graciously, thoughtfully analyze us. But I also think it might be a little bit manipulative but
1: let let me just play it through if we as a ministry are teaching something false by all means please reject it run from it call us out on it correct us and please show us the truth in kindness gentleness and respect
0: okay i intend to be kind gentle and respectful as i share these things Um, with you guys today, as I try to analyze where they're really coming from, it was very important to me before I did Hebrew Roots stuff to actually understand what they really believe and not a misrepresentation. I also didn't want to grab the worst example of the Hebrew Roots movement and make it look like that's the whole movement. So I, I kind of grabbed a much nicer example. 119 Ministries says very clearly in their videos, you were, you were not required to obey the law in order to be saved. So they treat it as a non-salvation issue. They think it's an obedience issue. Now, I think they contradict themselves later, and I'm going to play that clip, and they make it a salvation issue, and I'm going to play that clip later, um, but I appreciate what they say, at least earlier on. It is it is kind of a big deal. Um, so, the toned-down version of the Hebrew Roots movement, that's what we're, we're covering today. Um, now, before they get into Paul, they ask a lot of questions, and I think that these questions are, as I said, a little bit manipulative. So, please listen to this. I'm going to play this clip for you, and I want you to... to, to To not just hear what he says, but think of how it affects you and how it's meant to pull you over to their side long before they're willing to get into scripture, um, especially the writings of Paul. Um, Listen to these questions, and then we'll talk about the assumptions that are behind them. Okay, here we go.
1: In many ways, many today in traditional Christianity have an unsettling feeling in their spirit because they see many things established in the word of God as truth, Yet everyone around them teaches that it is no longer truth and do not practice that truth. Perhaps that should bother us to some extent. It should make us wonder, can something that God declared to be truth for his people become not truth later? If absolute truth can become something no longer truth, was it really truth to begin with and was it really absolute? These are legitimate questions and questions that everyone should be asking.
0: Okay, in my opinion, these are questions that mess with your brain and keep you from thinking clearly about the issue, but I want to take it slowly and I want to talk about why I'm going to say in in all with all grace in my heart, look I, I love you guys, you know one nineteen ministries, I love you, but you're teaching things that are manipulative. Let me explain first off, you start by saying, "Hey, don't you have an unsettling feeling? Many Christians have an unsettling feeling and, and to me, I'm like, I'm not going to build my theology based upon the idea that somebody's anxious. Um, or, I mean, you could sell any theology you want like this. I mean, I could sell you, you know, you ever felt like your Christian life just is missing out on things like something's just missing in your walk with God. You need to take a trip to Jerusalem. We're going this fall and you're going to, you should sign up with us and we're going to take you and it's going to really take you to the next level in your, in your relationship with God. Are you, are you feeling like something's just sort of not quite right in your walk with the Lord, I need to sell you my new devotional book. And this devotional book is going to get you on the right track in your, in your personal relationship with God. You will feel the Holy Spirit. You ever feel like something's missing in your life? Like something's just not quite right. What you need is echinacea pills because that's, what's really going to finish it off for you and make your life more balanced. Like you just can't sell theology based upon tapping into someone's anxieties. uh, Someone's feeling that something might not be right. Like, I am a sinner who daily battles with the flesh. I always feel like something's wrong inside of me because I'm constantly battling with the flesh. That doesn't mean I feel like my life is a sham or I feel like anything like that. It means that I'm feeling the natural issues of life. um, And I'm not going to use that to try to get people to get on board with my theology. Okay, he started with that unsettling feeling. This is in the beginning of their teaching. The next thing he does, he he goes on and says, um, everyone around them teaches that it's no longer truth. Um, This is just really messed up. I'm going to play it again. I'm going to play some of these clips twice. I want you to hear the tactics that are being used because this is the real reason, I think, why most people become um, pulled into these movements is it's a misrepresentation of a good biblical Christian theology. So uh, please uh, listen in again about what he says about how how mainstream, you know, evangelical Christianity, I don't know if I'm mainstream, but I'm definitely, you know, Orthodox Christianity, um, how we teach that the Old Testament is no longer true. Yeah, as if. But listen to how he presents it. Oh,
1: there it is. In many ways, many today in traditional Christianity have an unsettling feeling in their spirit because they see many things established in the word of God as truth. Yet everyone around them teaches that it is no longer truth and do not practice.
0: Okay, we teach that it's no longer truth. Hey, there's me. (laughs) Um, That's not the case. I, I don't teach it's no longer true. The question is not about the truthfulness of it. It's the question about the application of it, right? When God told Abraham to sacrifice his son, the application was to Abraham. The truth was, it's just simply true. God absolutely told him to do it, but the application was to Abraham, not to all people, not even to Abraham for his whole life. It's not like a week later, he's still supposed to go and do it again. It was like, do it. Okay, it's been, it's, you know, the command has been engaged. Now I'm telling you, oh, stop. Guess what? There's a replacement for you. And, um, and so now the command to sacrifice your son is no longer validly applied, even though it was always true. There's an example, for instance, um, of a truth that is simply not applied all the time. So God gave the law of Moses, it's true, it's a question of application. By the way, by the way, the law of Moses, it never, ever, ever applied to Gentiles as something they were all supposed to do. Never. So when we, as New Testament believers, when we say, hey, am I supposed to fall under the law of Moses? We're we're, we're asking a question that even in the time of Moses, you didn't expect Babylon and Egypt, you expect them to honor God. You didn't expect them to be... Um, under the law so to speak so um all right let's let's keep going though i'm getting ahead of myself i'm going to play a little more of this clip because he asks another question i want to answer
1: is that truth perhaps that should bother us to some extent it should make us wonder can something that god declared to be truth for his people become not truth later
0: okay the terminology here is just weird to me um, I'll show you guys the question on the screen here. There you go. Can something that God declared to be truth for his people become not truth later? I'll be honest, 119 Ministries, it almost feels like you're talking down to people here. Maybe you're trying to make a video that helps people if they have English as a second language, but, um, but it, it never stopped being true. This is to set up a straw man so that you think that if, 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 um, if I say I don't have to obey the dietary laws of the Old Testament, then I'm saying those laws were never true. But that's not what we're saying. And that's not the issue at all. But principles like this, they get embedded into the minds of the people in the movement, in the in the Hebrew roots movement. And then I think what happens is the principle trumps the Bible. Scripture doesn't matter anymore. This is why they reject Paul sometimes, because Paul clearly teaches against what they're saying. So they go, well, I can't accept that because Paul, if the law doesn't apply to me, then I'm basically saying the law is not true because they have this weird principle in their head. Um, principles that like this that trump scripture are a problem. Um, it's overly simplistic and it confuses the issue. And I think in the end it becomes kind of manipulative. Like when someone says, "Well, if you love me, then you'll do this for me." Well, no, that's that's overly simplistic. Sometimes, "You'll do this for me" is actually not a good loving thing to do. And so it's true that doesn't mean it applies at all times in all places to all people. That's overly simplistic. Um, another issue that I noticed as I was looking at Philia Ministries, notice these are, again, this is the overarching. I'm going to talk later about the biblical case for why we don't need to observe the law, why we're not even asked to observe it, I think, as New Testament believers. Um, but why, under some conditions, it's acceptable to observe it. Ah, it's, it's going to be complicated, but that's going. To, we're going to get into the New Testament theology of it later. Right now, I want to get into what the real reason why I think people get sucked into Hebrew root stuff, and that is because of oversimplified retellings and straw men of a biblical position so that you feel like you have to accept this because you're sort of being um, evil. If you don't, you're, you're you're rejecting the truth of God's word. If you don't embrace this whole thing. And that is a problem. Uh, Here's another sort of example of what I think is sloppy thinking. Um, And it's, it's about Jesus in the Bible. Follow the logic here. The logic is going to say that Jesus is the word and therefore Jesus is the Bible. And if you're going to believe in Jesus, you have to obey the Old Testament law. That's not rational. It's not biblical. But that's what they're going to say. And this is before they'll allow themselves to talk about Paul. So let's deal with this first.
1: We only have one head covering, and that is our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, or Yeshua in first century Hebrew, who is the word in the flesh, who is the word of God, And is the same word of God today, yesterday, and forever. In reality, Yeshua is a walking Bible. Whatever he did, taught, and practiced is the truth. The same truth that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And just to be overly clear, the word of God that is the same does indeed mean unchanging. Something that is the same simply means that it did not change. Now, I realize that I shouldn't have to emphasize that, but remember, some teach that the Word of God has changed. Is it not a problem to say that something is to be the same yesterday, today, and forever has also changed? If that is not a problem for you, then once again, this teaching will not be of any value to you. However, I suspect that most who are honest with themselves will not state that something that is the same has also changed.
0: There's a few things that were just said there. I want to tackle, t- tackle? <laughs> I want to tackle them one at a time. <laughs> I guess I'm hungry. I want a taco. Um, okay. So the first one is this, um, uh, this idea that Jesus is the Bible, Jesus is a walking Bible is, is, is something that I've heard a lot from several people over the years. Um, I think that most, in my, and I could be wrong, but I think most Christians understand that this is wrong. But I think a lot of people do fall into this, and they get they they misunderstand it, right? Um, because there's a term that we use for the Bible, the Word of God. Yet the Bible also says that Jesus is the Word, right? In the beginning, the Word. So the the Word. Now he's not he's not the Word of God in that other sense, but he is called the Word in John one. But John one is not talking about the Bible; he's talking about Jesus, and the two don't meet in that sense. So, um, for instance. I'm going to give you a list of ways you can show that Jesus is not the Bible. First off, you don't have a Bible passage that says Jesus is the Bible, right? Or Jesus is the scripture, right? The scripture, the graphe, the writings. It doesn't say he is the writings, okay? So Jesus and the Bible are not the same thing. Um, that's one thing. Another thing is this. Jesus is a person. The Bible is not a person. Jesus is a person. The Bible is not a person. This is this means the two aren't the same. Jesus is eternal. The Bible's not eternal eternal Um, for instance did did jesus exist before moses i think the answer is going to be yes if you're a biblical christian your answer is clearly yes in the beginning was the logos right but we're not talking about the bible we're talking about jesus here he's in the beginning did he exist before moses yes but did genesis exodus leviticus numbers and deuteronomy the torah did they exist before moses no they did not Did Moses bring Jesus into existence as a result of him writing down the things that God showed him? No, clearly not. This is, forgive me, you guys, for those who feel this is overly simplistic, but there's going to be someone out there who I think this might help. Um, Here's another example. Um, When Moses finished writing, there was only five books of the Old Testament. But by the time Malachi wrote, we have, you know, uh, 39 books of the Old Testament. And so, question. Was there more of Jesus in the time of, say, Malachi than there was in the time of Moses? Was there more of Jesus when John finished the book of Revelation than there was before John finished Revelation? Obviously not. Jesus is not the Bible. Jesus is God. The Bible's not God. The Bible's about Jesus. It isn't Jesus. Jesus never said anything to imply that he was the Bible. So this, it almost seems strange that I have to explain this. When you say, and here's their logic, right? Jesus is the word. The word is the Bible. Therefore, Jesus is the Bible. That's the fallacy of equivocation. I'm using the term word in different senses in the same argument. So I'm going to say Jesus is the word. Well, he is, but not in the sense of the Bible, right? The Bible is the word of God, meaning it's what God has spoken to us. Okay, but yeah, they're not the same thing. Um, But then they go on to say, well, Jesus doesn't change. And he quotes Hebrews. Now follow the logic. Therefore, the Bible doesn't change. Therefore, you have to obey the Old Testament law. Now, even if Jesus was the Bible, as much as that's impossible, it still wouldn't lead to the conclusion that you have to obey the Old Testament law. I'm just taking the idea that Jesus doesn't change, and I'm applying that to the Bible. Well, I think the Bible doesn't change. I think God hasn't changed his word. That doesn't mean the application of the scripture is universal and is always the same to all people of all times. When when God says... um, to Abraham, get get yourself out of, away from your family and go to a land that I will show you. Does that mean that every time I read that verse, I have to get up and move and go to an unknown land? Of course not. The application is not universal, right? Or it's not the same. Certainly I can apply that. I can say how, whatever God tells me, I should trust him. That's why I apply it into my life, right? Like Abraham, I should have faith in God, but I don't get up and move because I realize the difference between God giving something for one person or a group of people versus giving it to all people for all time. Um, so. number two issue in that clip that I just played for you, Um, he says, some teach the word of God has changed. Some teach the word of God has changed. And that again is, is, this is why he's Hebrew roots. I think, Um, I think that he's reinterpreting the Bible because he has this principle in his head that if I, if I say that I'm not under the, under the law, if I say, I don't have to follow the dietary laws and things like that, then I'm saying the Bible has changed. And so he accuses guys like me, of saying the Bible has changed. That's, of course, not what I'm teaching. I'm not teaching the Bible's changed. In fact, the Old Testament law was never, ever meant to be this universal thing that everyone was going to be obeying, even at the time. Um, it was for the Jewish people. And even in the law, there was these these prophetic statements about the application of it being changed. Yeah. So if if let's look at some scripture here. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 7. This is actually going to be the only passage I go to that might be from Paul. Um, because I realize that a lot of Hebrew roots people, at least for today, I'm not going to do Paul. A lot of Hebrew roots people are going to be suspicious of passages, and I think that you're suspicious because your theology is wrong. So you're having to rip pages out of your Bible. Um, so I'll just go to this one though. Then don't worry, I won't. Co- I won't come back to these until the next video. But Hebrews 7 verse 11 it says, "Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law." Oh, I should uh, put it on your guys' screen as well. Oh, I did good. Um, okay. If perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood for, for under it, the people received the law. What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? Now here's the logic. This is, I love this book. Hebrews is great. The logic is, is, is thoughtful though. It's not simplistic. It's thoughtful. He's saying in Psalm 110, long after the Levitical priesthood is given, there's a prophecy about a future priesthood. And so he's like, hey, if the Levitical priesthood was doing the job, if there wasn't going to be a change of the priesthood, then there'd be no prophecy of a whole different kind of priesthood. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I have a whole video on that. You should check it out. It's really good. Um, But that's, that's what he's doing. Hebrews is not saying, here's my new teaching. Hebrews is saying, here's the old teaching. It's always been this way. And then he goes on. So after he's established the idea that there's a new priesthood coming, verse 12, he says, For when there's a change in the priesthood, there's a, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. So then there's this change in the law. Do you catch that? The, the change in the law is not that the law changes where we're going to go back and edit the Old Testament. No, 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 no. We're saying the Old Testament itself, God's revel- revealed word to, to the Jewish people, it had embedded in it a change that was going to take place when this new priest shows up. It's a new priesthood, and therefore it's there's a different law, a greater law, so to speak. Just as there's a new covenant, there is a new commandment. And so, um, anyway, there's a lot more to talk about there. But here's a biblical term where the term, change is used and it's used not in the sense of altering the text but fulfilling it and bringing about um, new application that's the idea a change in application new covenant new priest new law and that's based on old testament passages in psalm 110 um, as well as uh, other places check out hebrews 7 it'll keep you busy all night just thinking about it um I see cults do this stuff, to be honest, you guys. I'm not saying that it's a cult. I don't think 119 Ministries is exactly a cult. No, I don't. I don't think that. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. That's, it's probably over my head to even make that decision. Um, but I don't think that. However, I think that the simplistic, overly simplistic reasoning where we take a a principle that's um, almost childish and we shove it onto the text of scripture and then we start reinterpreting the Bible to fit our principle, that's a problem. That's a problem. You're starting with your philosophy and you're not letting the Bible speak. Um, this is what the mother God cult does, which I have a few videos on. They say, Jesus, qu- quote, here's how, here's their logic. They say, Jesus said to call God, our father, which means that we also have a heavenly mother. They say, where there are children, there's a father and a mother. Well, if we're the children of God, then we not only have God, the father, we must also have God, the mother. So they're just, forget scripture, right? We're just going to have principles that we force on the text of scripture to invoke our theology that in a lesser way, in a lesser way is what 119 ministries has done in this video. When they say that to, um, to say we're not to obey the old Testament law is the same as trying to change the Bible or change Jesus. And that, okay, here's the last one about Jesus and Bible confusion. Here's another clip. And it gets, it's pretty bad. There's a reason why they start with this before they get into the Bible passages, because this is, I think, what's really anchoring them in that view, and it's problematic. So uh, listen in.
1: This is why Paul said to test ourselves, our faith. We cannot forget that the Word of God is the Messiah, and that the Messiah is the Word of God. If we accept all of Him, then we accept all of the Word of God as well. It is a complete package. We cannot choose which parts of the Messiah we like and want to know. So, we are to test everything according to that word.
0: Did you catch that? It's super important that you hear it because these aren't the biblical reasons. These are the, the, the philosophy doctrinal reasons that they have that are extra biblical. Here's the idea. You can't just take part of Jesus. You got to take all of Jesus. And since we're confused and we think Jesus is the Bible, same difference. He's the walking Bible. If you're going to say, I'm not obeying the Old Testament law, then you're rejecting a chunk of who Jesus is. So of course they feel passionate about it. Of course they feel like it's a really big deal. The The problem is they're just wrong. Like that's, this is naive. This is weird. They don't tell you clearly, but I mean, what they're saying here, it seems to me pretty obvious is that accepting Jesus means being under the Old Testament law. And obeying the dietary restrictions and ob- being as obedient to the law as you possibly can. Never mind that Old Testament prophecy says otherwise. That even, you know, here they've made a Jesus that contradicts with Jesus. And it's, it's weird. It's confusing. If I say that I accept Christ, but I'm not under the law, then by, by his logic, I'm rejecting Jesus. I'm rejecting a, a chunk of Jesus, so to speak. I just don't think it applies the same way, but he thinks I'm rejecting. So the assumption is this. That accepting the Bible equals applying the Old Testament law to Gentiles who are in Christ. It's an assumption, and it's his conclusion. This is called circular reasoning. I'll assume that believing the Old Testament means applying it to Gentiles who are in Christ, regardless of the fact that the whole Bible teaches against against that or teaches differently than that. I should say, um, I'll just so, so I start with my conclusion. And then I say, well, therefore, if you believe the Bible, you obey the Old Testament. I don't even need theology. You don't even need Bible verses for this. Like you just, you just argue your way into your theology. Um, That's a problem. That's a problem. I was surprised because, because 119 Ministries, while later in their videos later, they actually get into the actual text of scripture and they'll go verse by verse through passages. We'll look at some more stuff today. But, um, but the majority of the beginning of the video is just setting up this weird theology based upon philosophy, based upon just um, circular reasoning based upon um, misrepresenting those who would disagree with you. And no wonder why you're trapped. Once you once you, uh, you swallow the first video, you're trapped. You need the rest of the videos because you have to reinterpret the Bible because now your view is that you're rejecting Jesus if you don't, you know, also reject eating pork. Um, so let's look at another little clip. Um, and i like to know what you think about it.
1: Keep in mind, as we progress through the truth of the Word of God, we are doing our best to teach only what the Scripture clearly teaches and refrain from teaching our own opinion on verses that might be argued to be subject to one's interpretation. We want to show you what the Word of God says is true. Not simply what we believe is true. What we believe is irrelevant. You are not to simply just trust us or project on us of any type of credibility. Your faith should be in the Word of God, certainly not us. Thus, our commentary is basically worthless. And the Word of God is everything. We challenge you to focus on what the Word of God says, not what we say or others say.
0: Did you, do you catch the thing here? Um, <clears throat> he says straight up, our commentary is useless. Yet, he's got like eight hours or 12 hours of footage giving commentary. Like if, 119 Ministries, if you really believed your commentary was useless, you would just read the Bible and not give commentary. You obviously think your commentary is important and valuable. So when I hear this, what it sounds like to me is it sounds like either you don't think your commentary is commentary, like you think that you are just, you know, perfect in your commentary. And so it really everyone else's commentary. We're not, we're just sharing what's obviously true, their commentary, they're wrong. It's kind of like a weird way of saying we're right, you're wrong, Um, or, or perhaps you you're wanting people to think that about you to think that when when you're interpreting scriptures it's not your interpretation it's really just that's what the passage means everybody else is interpreting it but we're we just know what it means and anyway i think this is weird i think this is weird um okay what I, what i would like to do I, I think i've just outlined several just to recap i've outlined several steps that have have happened already in their video that has nothing to do with scripture right this is just saying um, circular reasoning. We're right because we're right. How do I know I have to obey the Old Testament law? Because if you don't, you're rejecting Jesus and you've rejected the Messiah. Wait, what? <laughs> like, like that's, that's, you know, scripture police. You know, that's not, that's not how it works. Um, but now I'm going to give you some of the scriptures that they use and I'll do it from First John. In First John, they, um, they like to put it this way. Um, here you go. Follow the logic. Follow how the word lawless is used to get you to think that you have to obey the Old Testament law and ask yourself, does this make sense? Is this biblical? Is this commentary accurate to the text?
1: Now by this, we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments, he who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. You might ask then what commandments did our savior keep? What instructions did he follow and teach? Did he keep the Lord's feast days and Sabbath, the dietary instructions? The answer, yes, he did, absolutely. He had to have practiced and taught what Moses wrote. Otherwise, our perfect Savior was actually not perfect, and he sinned, thus rendering us lost and hopeless. Just in case you might be wondering which commandments John was referring to keep in the test of knowing him in verse 3, John immediately stated that he was referring to the same commandments that Christ walked. 1 John chapter 2. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. The question is this, are you going to walk as he walked or walk how others tell you to walk?
0: All right. I'm going to be, I'm going to come back to that clip in a minute. Uh, I'm going to be the Hebrew roots person for a second, and I'm going to walk you through how I've actually heard it done. I I heard of a, a guy I knew who went, sort of deep into this movement he i don't think they even called it hebrew roots right he just thought no we're just honoring torah we're just believing the whole bible we believe the whole bible as if i don't believe the whole bible it's just again it's a straw man um but here's how it goes they say and it comes from this passage in first john they say um what is sin imagine I'm the, I'm the guy now, what is sin? And I ask you, and you go, sin, huh? You want like a dictionary definition of sin? Like, I don't know, like doing bad things, like hamartia. It means like missing the mark, like like an archery term. Um, what is sin? Well, they go to 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 to get a definition of sin. And uh, here it is right there. It says, everyone who pra- who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. There we go. Sin is lawlessness. And so you're going to say, sin is lawlessness. So step one, I get you to say, sin is lawlessness. And I go, yes, well, you know what lawlessness is? Lawlessness is being without the Torah, the law of the Old Testament, the law of Moses. So sin is literally defined as not obeying the law of Moses. Therefore, every time in the Bible, when something says sin, it means not obeying the law of Moses. Now, do you think Jesus wants you to sin? And you go, no, of course not. Well, then Jesus, he obviously wants you to obey the law of Moses. That's just what it means. That's that's how the logic goes through here. Now, the problem here is, again, this is equivocation because this word lawless that I have highlighted right here, lawlessness, it doesn't mean the law of Moses. That's why it's not translated sin is breaking the law of Moses because that's not what it means. It's a word namas. It just means or anamas. It's it's the negation of the law. But but the word namas doesn't mean of the Old Testament or law of Moses. It just means law. And it's frequently used even in the New Testament in ways other than referring to the law of Moses. It has a variety of uses. You can look them up on your own. There's a variety of uses here. But in order for the, um, the Hebrew Roots Movement, you know, to kind of be correct here, they have to take one usage and act like it's the only use. And now, I hear this when I hear skeptics try to take the word faith. And they take the one bad definition of faith, which is legitimate, but it's, it's, it's terrible, which is like faith is belief without evidence. Um, and they try to force that definition on everybody else. Um, that's exactly the same thing. It's like, it's like hello, there's other uses of the term and that's not the Christian one. Well, John does not appear to be using it in the sense of it being the law of Moses. Can I prove that to you though? Oh yeah, let's look at it. So um, let's see, 1 John uh, chapter 2, Let's talk about how John uses the term commandments in 1 John um, and how, and, and is he talking about the law of Moses or is he talking about the commands of our authoritative Lord? You know, that, that these are things God wants us to do. And uh, 1 John 2, 3, it says, and by this, we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, of course, if you assume commandments means law of Moses, well, then your case is made, but you have to assume that it has to be in the text to prove it. John actually tells us what he means and it's not what 119 Ministries implied. Um, He says, "Whoever Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him but whoever keeps his word in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And what is the way that he walked? What are the commandments? He hasn't answered those questions. He's just saying you have to walk like Jesus did. Now you can assume that Jesus walked means obeyed the old Testament law. You can assume that you can also assume it means be an itinerant preacher. You can also assume that it means, um, only live in, in, in Israel and never leave the land of Israel. That's how Jesus walked. You can also assume that it means only outreach to Jewish people because that's what Jesus did. Did you know that Jesus only outreach to Jewish people? He says, I'm sent to the lost tribes of the house of Israel, talked about other sheep, but they wouldn't be reached until after his death and resurrection. He made like an exception to the rule whenever he would he would help like a centurion or he helped out uh, that, that the one woman who had the conversation about the dogs and, the, and eating the children's food. Um, anyhow, th- those were the exceptions to the rule. The standard thing is Jesus only went to Jewish people. Well, if I'm going to walk as Jesus walked, then I should only go to Jewish people. No, you need more context. First John needs to give you more details so you can know what it means. So let's keep reading. And I'm just reading straight through the text here. I haven't stopped. I haven't skipped any verses. Beloved, I'm writing no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. And from the beginning here, I think he's talking about from the beginning of when they first started knowing Christ, because that which was from the beginning we have declared to you, that which our hands have handled. This is, he's saying the the beginning here is talking about uh, the beginning of Jesus's ministry. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. That's the issue, hate. Right? Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. It's hate and love. This is the issue. The commandment is to love, not hate. He says, I'm writing the commandment to you. But he never in the course of 1 John explains that the commandment is following the law of Moses. He describes the commandment as love. Now you can say, well, love is the fulfillment of the law, right, Mike? Yes, it is the fulfillment of the law, but it also predates. Love predates the law of Moses. Let's read on. There's more passages in 1 John that will also help us. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, it will tell us exactly what John meant when he talked about obeying his commands. And this is the commandment. That we, that ye, that we believe in the name of His Son Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded us. That's the commandment. I believe in Him, and I and we love one another. So this is the commandment John's writing to you. It's not the old law of Moses being recommanded to the rest of the world in the name of Jesus Christ. Rather, it's love and faith, faith and love. This is this is the commandment. It's very simple, um, but if you assume lawlessness means rejecting the law of Moses instead of looking at it in context and realizing this lawlessness is just talking about general unrighteousness, general living a life that you're not yielded to the goodness and righteousness of God. Um, then that you're going to create the problem, uh, but not, not from a, a study of the text. Also, John 15 talks about this, speaking of Jesus and what he commanded. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. How do I walk as Jesus walked? He walked in love. He sacrificed himself for me. I'm to love others the way he loved me. And I I have to, I have to pause. Okay, let's stop the theological discussion for a second. I have to remember as a Christian, I'm called to love people with an intensely, not emotionally intense. uh, It may well be emotionally intense. I hope it is, but but this intense degree of self-sacrificial love, where I put them first and I put myself down here last, and that's my normal mode of living because I'm following Jesus, who took my sins upon Himself, and He lived and died and rose for me. So just not not a not meant to be a theological discussion there just just a reminder of the of the love that God's called us to have, um, even in our discussions right now, like. I hope this is a service to 119 Ministries. I hope this helps them. I really do. I don't know. Sometimes when we come out and we have a video teaching on a topic, we're uncorrectable. <laughs> and I hope I'm not like that. Um, but sometimes it's like, it's too late. You know, our, 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 our heels are dug too deep. in. I'm hoping that this content will help them and help those who might be influenced by what I think is um, ultimately mistaken teaching and scriptures taken out of context. So um let me take a look at our, our time real quick. What time is it? Alright, we're still we're doing okay. Um one of the problems that we have with um with this uh Hebrew roots movement, oh I should probably put there we go. Um is that it's it tends to be a progression. Um I I mentioned how there's these different levels in the movement, but you know, there's like, hey, you should obey the law, it's a good idea. Hey, you have to obey the law or else. Hey, um, Let's just ditch the writings of Paul. Hey, you know what? Forget Jesus, right? Like like those are kind of the, the the different steps in the process. And I think it's actually sometimes a progression. They start by saying, hey, I'm going to keep the law. And they start to get enamored by Jewish things, you know, which I'm interested in that stuff too, but I don't at all hold it up to scripture. I know the difference between the commands of God and the traditions of man. Um, and then they eventually start having you know, this feeling like, you know, if you're not really, you know, I know I said you're saved by faith alone, but if you're not obeying the law, you're not really saved. You're really just not. And I think that's what 119 Ministries is kind of doing. Let me play a clip because this, this kind of made me sad. It kind of broke my heart when I heard this. Um, Listen to their, how they move from the beginning of their video saying, Hey, this stuff doesn't save you guys to later in the video saying something that sounds very different.
1: In the word of God. And we tell him no and thus continue to do our own thing. Such is the opposite of faith, because as we established earlier, we will do what we believe is true. In other words, if our faith is that the word of God is truth, and sin is bad, our intentional practice is not to go out and deny the word of God by sinning. If someone says that they believe the word of God to be true, which is the same as believing in our Lord, yet keeps on intentionally sinning, Scripture calls that person a liar, 1 John chapter 2. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. And remember, the commandments that John is talking about here are the commandments that Yeshua walked, the same exact ones. And now you know that. And now you have a decision to make, despite what you still might believe about what Paul taught. This would be an example of someone saying that they believe the word of God to be true, Yet at the same time, refusing to practice the word of God. That is a very serious situation. How serious is it? It's called denying the faith.
0: How serious is it? It's called denying the faith. What he's done is he's walked you to a place where, and I mean, I listened to that clip multiple times because I just want to make sure I really understood what he was saying. Where you have only a couple options, right? Option one, Um, You don't obey the Old Testament law, but you're just ignorant. You're ignorantly rejecting the Torah. Um, um, It's less blessings for you. It's sin, but you can be forgiven for that. That's condition number one. Condition number two, option number two is you knowingly reject the Torah, which means that you're actually rejecting Jesus and you are now apostate. You're like, you're lost. You're apostate. Then he says this, by the way, condition one's not available for you anymore because I just explained to you that you do have to keep the Torah. Implication either you keep the Torah or you're apostate, you're rejecting Jesus. Now I have a serious problem. Now they, now excuse me, let me put it this way. Now 119 Ministries has a serious problem. Now whoever believes this has a serious problem. You have just moved into the place where you've made obedience to the Torah the, the, um, the salvation issue, um, which is, I don't know how you can read the Bible and get that. I don't know. I don't know. Unless you start with all these weird principles and you have this weird logic, like you're rejecting pieces of Jesus or a part of Messiah. And that's just, that's, that's not reality. This is not the reality we live in. Okay. Um, so something has shifted, uh, early in the video, they're like, Hey, we're clear. Faith alone saves, not keeping the law later in the video. Yeah, but if you don't keep the law, you're not saved, you know, and, and if you know what we just told you, which now you do, so everyone who watches the video, keep the law or you're not saved. That's a problem. That is a serious problem. Um, So I, um, yeah, I, I'm going to take 119 Ministries as representative of at least some of what goes on with the, um, with the Hebrew Roots movement. And I think that the progression that I see and where they're headed is not a, not a healthy, happy place. Um, I, I would encourage them to come out of all this stuff and realize that you're just misinterpreting the scriptures and you're using false logic and circular reasoning to try to, um, sort of in a naive way, almost shove the Bible onto people instead of trying to understand it carefully and thoughtfully and apply it accurately. Um, all right, I'm going to go to your guys' questions and then I'll make an announcement about what I'm going to do for next week, next week's video. So let's go to your guys' questions. We've already got a bunch of them, so I'm going to try and start moving through them here. Um... Question number one. All right. Um, our wholesome question for Pastor Mike. Uh, what is your opinion? Um, oh, I guess our wholesome home. That's the name of your YouTube channel. Okay. I thought she was a wholesome question. Um, what is your opinion about Torah observant Christians who say you were saved by grace through faith alone, but they want to try to walk in obedience as Jesus did? I think it's, um, um, if they're Gentiles in particular, I think it's unnecessary and, uh, but I would not make a big deal about it. That's my opinion. I wouldn't make a big thing about it. I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's required. I think they're, they're mistaken. Um, I think that when they want to try to walk in obedience as Jesus did, there might be just some confusion as to what we're actually called to do in our lives. Um, not seeing the difference between Jesus's ministry and what he actually calls us to do. Uh, we're to call we're copy Jesus's character. We're not actually to try to do everything Jesus did. I don't know if you realize that, but we're really not. Um, yeah. So in my opinion though, is, is I have a very gracious attitude towards them and I wouldn't fight them on it. And I, I, yeah. But when they start teaching others, which usually happens when they start teaching others that they have to do the same thing, that's a problem, right? I think that's a problem. Um, now, perhaps if they're Jewish and they go, look, I was, I'm Jewish. I was born Jewish, raised Jewish. I'm not going to stop obeying the Torah just because I've accepted Messiah. I would say, well, don't, you know, Paul said, you know, let him who's circumcised not seek to be uncircumcised. I don't have a problem with that. I have a problem with telling others that you should hopefully that makes sense i'll get more into that in the future videos um, question number two is if we are not saved from dd if if we are not saved by works then why is there a difference of levels or places you can be in heaven by the amount of your works mentioned in revelation 21 12 um, let's just go to that text of scripture revelation twenty-one twelve. and dd's question um, 22 12 oops it suggests that that this is giving us levels of heaven language that we're going to be in different levels, but let's read the passage. It says, "Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end." Um, so, there's nothing in there about levels of language. Do you notice that? Like, there's nothing specific about like levels levels of heaven language. Like, you're up here, someone else is down there. Um, what I do think. The, I don't think this passage is about bringing, well, I think the repay each one for what he's done, it, it would apply to repaying wickedness to those who are outside of Christ, not wickedness, but repaying them for their wickedness. Um, and then bringing uh, rewards, heavenly rewards, yeah, to those who are in Christ. And First Corinthians talks about this. I don't think those rewards translate into levels of heaven. I think that they're God wanting to bless us for the things that we've done in his name. and. I don't think that has to do with salvation. That's, you can't even get that unless you have done verse 14. You've washed your robes so that you may have the right to the tree of life. I got to wash my robe, man. I, I need to be cleansed by the blood of the lamb. That's how I can get in. The rewards come secondarily after salvation. And they're, in 1 Corinthians, uh, it even talks about there being those who would enter in with basically no reward, meaning that their works didn't get them in. They were in in spite of their fail, failure to have works. They were yet saved as through fire, it says. So, I think that would be uh, my short answer to that question. Um, Sherry Burr has a question. What Bible translation would you suggest we read, bearing in mind the Hebrew subject matter here today? Um, I don't know. Let me see. Here's the thing. I'm currently experimenting, long-term experimenting with the ESV. I'm not sure I'm going to stick with it. I might try out the NASB for a while after this one because I'm thinking I might be more interested in that. I don't really know, but I would say... um, ESV is generally a very good translation. NASB I think is also very good. Um, New King James is a really good translation. But in my understanding is that the the manuscript tradition that it's that it incorporates in some places, it, it's better reflecting the original writing in the ESV and NASB or one of those. So that would be my my preference. Um, ESV and NASB at the moment. That's kind of where I'm at right now. Just kind of putting it out there. And if I get more solidified in that, then I'll, I'll share it with you guys, um, for what it's worth. But I do recommend this, read multiple translations, especially when you're hanging your understanding on the translation of translation of one word and one verse, read it in multiple translation. For instance, the term lawlessness is also translated unrighteousness in other translations, right? And some it's translated lawless. Sometimes it's translated unrighteous. Now, if they would have just read other translations, they would have realized it's not like some open and closed case that lawless means not the law of Moses. Uh, so, multiple translations are always good. Um, question number four from Paul: What's the law of Christ? Um, um, let me let me find the text. Just a second. The law of Christ. So Galatians six two. This is the passage where it actually has that always we look for context you know always read a verse in context like uh what uh, greg kokel says never read a verse <laughs> he doesn't mean never read the bible he means never read only a verse um so we want to read it in context so here you go galatians 6 2 it says um there we go bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of christ What's the law of Christ? Well, in the context of Galatians 6, 2, it's bearing one another's burdens. That is the, the principle that Jesus, you know, lived out in his life is he carried our burdens. And so we're to bear one another's burdens. I think the general law of Christ here is love. Jesus said, this is my command that you love one another. This, so his commandment or his law, his, his one over, overarching rule is love. And so here that seems to be consistent as well in Galatians 6, 2. So the law of Christ, I would, my interpretation would be the law of Christ is love, is to walk in love. Um, Something that is true in the Old Testament law, but it's also true um, in a, uh, in a, in a transcendent way beyond the Old Testament law. Um, All right. What about Chugumu says, so is tithing not for us to do? Um, I, I think that tithing is not for us to do, but that doesn't mean giving is not for us to do. I think we are to give. I think we should give to those who spiritually minister to us. Galatians uh, makes this stuff clear, right? Um, give to those who minister to us. Um, the pastoral epistles also. Um, we should be giving to the poor. We should be taking care of the poor, especially Christians who are poor. They're part of your family in Christ. You should be taking care of them and taking care of their needs. Um, we should also be, the wealthy should should be giving more. I'm not talking about taxes here. This is not, this is not some liberal politic issue. The wealthy should be storing up that they might give to those who have need. That's what the scripture says as a Christian rule. It has nothing to do with taxes. Um, those are some of the giving moments in the scripture. Also, there were collections made for poor saints when they were suffering persecution. I think there's a principle there about giving to those who who are hurting because of persecution. So if we were to tithe in the Old Testament sense, I would take 10% and I would give it to, to the Levites. Like it would even go to the pastor, right? It would be like, it'd be going to the land of Israel. It would be like, uh, yeah. And I'm, I know of a church that actually would do this. They give 10% of the, of the church's income would go to um, to Israel or to churches in Israel. And I think that's a misunderstanding. I get their heart. They love the Lord. And it's nothing's wrong with giving, I want to give to churches in Israel. Well, go ahead. Nothing's wrong with this. They have needs too, you know. I just don't think it's commanded. Um, Claudia Gutierrez says, a lot of my Hebrew roots friends claim most of us are Jewish. We just don't do it. Uh, we just don't it. Or maybe believe it. I don't know. I disagree, but I guess that's why they believe it does apply to them. Oh, we just don't know it. Um, okay, so your your friends are saying most of us, we are we have Jewish ancestry, but we're just not aware of it. Um, that seems convenient to me because then they can say, see, we really are Jewish. We should obey the 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 law um I think that sounds pretty convenient however I think that there's I'll be honest right it sounds like they're saying that because they're going to obey the law either way and they're just looking for good reasons um yeah I mean if I think if I was Jewish I would know it I think if there was a significant amount of connection I would I'd be aware of it I think you would too uh my family's Irish I'd rather be Jewish that'd be cool (laughs) but yeah all right, um, Matt Pierce says, "Do you believe in dispensationalism? If so, can you give your version of it? If there's a difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God." Um, I don't sign up for dispensationalism as is. It seems like it's it's, it's claiming a little too much for me. Um, like there's a bunch of baggage with it. I do think this though, and you would, you would many would think this is dispensational-ish, is that um, that there is a future plan for the nation of Israel. Like nationally, God has a plan for them. And that it's in the future, there's prosperity, there are blessings, and there is the fulfillment of God's promises to the nation. And we don't just adopt those as the church, like full replacement theology, I fully disagree with. But I do have like teaching on that for you. Um, Matt, I've got plenty of teaching online where I actually deal with that in my Romans series. And so if you just Google my name and the word Israel, you'll see a list of videos where I deal with different topics related to that that should help you out. Um, Let's see. Nate Schmolz says, <clears throat> how do you deal with Gentiles who were under Old Testament law, like uh, Leviticus 4, 20, 24, those living in the borders of Israel and Zechariah 14, 16, all the people of the earth celebrating the feast of tabernacles. Um, well, celebrating the feast doesn't make, make you under the law. And and I would say these are separate issues. You could actually celebrate a feast. Like I celebrate Passover, right? I, I, Easter, I celebrate Passover, you know, Passover is a more accurate term than Easter is for it, but that doesn't make me under the law. So, so I, I think the, the feast issue, that's separate. Um, Leviticus twenty let's look at it and I'll bring you with me. There you go. All right. Leviticus twenty four twenty two says you shall have the same rule for the sojourner and for the native, for I am the Lord, your God. Um, this is actually, I think this is actually speaking about Passover as well. Um, Oh, no, no. Okay. I'm going to back up a little bit just so we can get context. It says, whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. Whoever takes an animal life, animal's life, shall make it good life for life. If anyone injures his neighbor as he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, whatever injury he has given, a, in a, a person shall be given to him. Whoever kills a man shall make it good. An animal shall make it good. Whoever kills a person shall be put to death. You can You can make it good by replacing a cow, but you can't replace a person. So they're going to be put to death. You shall have the same rule for the sojourner and for the native, for I am the Lord your God. So the context of this sojourner native, like that, that I am the Lord your God, that kind of is like the, the bookend of that section. Um, he'll he'll say it again up further to kind of give you these little bookends. I am the Lord. Um, so the uh, the concept though is this: God says for the for the legal punishments. You have to have the same laws for the people who are in your land that aren't part of Israel and the people who are part of Israel, who are, are like part of the promise. Um, so this is about protection for the sojourners. So, for instance, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an Israelite and I, I beat up this guy and I steal his, his, his sheep. Right, But he's he's a sojourner. So I tell my, my elders when I go to the city gates and they, he brings me there and he complains, I say, hey guys, he's a sojourner. Who cares about him? This is our land. We're the chosen people. They would open the text and be like, no, actually it says we have the same law for all people. So we're talking here for those who are under the law when they are... And remember, the law is like an actual like civil legal system. This is case law for how violent crimes are to be resolved. So this is not just... Um, About dietary laws. This is like a civil um, legal system, you know, just like we have laws about speeding and laws about fraud and things like that. That's what this is. It's just saying that you apply them across the board equally when anybody's in the land of Israel. Now there is the Israeli government doesn't even obey these laws, but if they did, and I was in Israel, then I should have the laws applied to me the same. So I, I, in other words, what I'm saying is I think bottom line, Leviticus 24, 22 has nothing to do with Gentiles obeying the old Testament law. It has to do with fairness in how the judicial um, uh, punishments were doled out so that even the sojourner who would normally be oppressed, they would not be oppressed in Israel. That's the idea. All right. Next question. Uh, Darian Burkhart says I'm an ex Catholic and was, and was taught John 653 to mean the Eucharist. They also said it has Hebrew roots. My question, is there really any rooting or is it just more scripture twisting? Is there any rooting? I like that question. All right, let's 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 look at the scripture. I love I love that you guys are like coming on here to ask these questions. I hope I can have, you know, off the top of my head, good answers for you. I'm not making stuff up. It's just, hopefully I can remember the context well enough to give you a thoughtful answer. Um, John 6, 53. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Well, um, the teaching of the Eucharist needs two things to be true um, in order for this to be about the Eucharist, the Catholic Eucharist. Um, and I could probably answer this better if I have more time to ponder it. But one thing that needs to be true is Jesus has to be speaking literally. He's not speaking symbolically. He would speak symbolically, right? He says, I'm the bread of life. Um, he, he, would, he would say things like that, right? I am the gate. Um, nobody thought he was an actual gate. You know, I am the good shepherd. No one thought he was a shepherd. Um, so is he speaking literally or symbolically here? Now, the passage is going to indicate he's speaking symbolically. I'll, I'll scroll down and show it to you in a moment. Um, the other issue is um, that they also have to then say that the the cup physically becomes the bread and the blood. Because it's because if it's literal, then you have to drink his blood and, and eat his flesh, literally. So then they go, aha. So then the Eucharist is the only way that's possible. Because certainly nobody ate his physical body while he was on the earth. Nobody. The only thing they did was they had communion. Now, it fails on both points. The New Testament doesn't teach that the communion transfigures, changes its form, and becomes the physical body and blood of Christ. But also, Jesus himself in this passage, he indicates that he's speaking about spiritual things. So I'm just going to read straight through until I get to that point. Remember, it's all part of the same context. Never read just a verse. Um, Verse 54, as we read on, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. By the way, do you think that Abraham... Had eternal life. Did he feed on the flesh and drink the blood of Christ? Symbolically, yes. He had faith. And that's how he partook of Christ was by faith. Um, Hebrews 11. All right. Verse 55. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Um, Remember then John, John 5 as well. He's talking about a parallel. Like you don't, you don't need that food. You need me. You don't need that food. You need me. So now he's saying that I will give you eternal life. Um, 56. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks on my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This verse 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread, the father's ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Okay. Well, obviously speaking in metaphors here, there's the manna, the bread from heaven. He's like, I'm the bread from heaven and just to feed on me. Um, Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Now the same context, they're upset about this. They're confused by Jesus. So here comes the clarification. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying who can listen to it. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before? And then he clarifies, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. Jesus, through his t- his challenging teaching, he meant, I'm sorry, but he meant to create a division in the crowd amongst those who would trust him and those who would take his difficult words as an opportunity to reveal their rebellion against him. And he says, hey, look, my words are spirit. That's what I'm speaking. The words I've spoken to you are spirit. The flesh is of no help at all. He can't say, verse 63, the flesh is of no help at all after he has just said, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Well, what's going to give me life is the flesh of Christ what do you mean Jesus well the, the the spirit gives life the flesh doesn't help at all Jesus clarifies in the context of this own of this passage that it's not about um it's not about the Eucharist um, it's about Jesus being the one who gives us life and it's um in, we're empowered with life by his spirit when we put faith in him and we're born again So there you go. I might have been more information than you wanted, but but hopefully, hopefully that helps out. There's more that can be said about that. I should do a video one day on the topic of the Eucharist. Um, Yeah. Let's see. What question am I on here? Um, I'll I'll take a few more. I'm having a fantastic time with you guys. I hope you guys are still having a good time with me. Um, I, I love the Word of God. I love that Scripture in context keeps us from misunderstanding it and misinterpreting it. And the same is true with this Hebrew root stuff. It's true with the Eucharist. Just let the Bible speak. Keep reading, keep reading till you find the answer right there in the passage. Um, it's always right there. So often my job would be uh, almost unnecessary if people would read the context more. <laughs> okay. Um, Josie, uh, Jake J. Josie J. says, you said that Jesus is the word, but not the Bible. Can you elaborate on what it means biblically that Jesus is the word? Um, so biblically speaking, it, this comes really, it comes from John one in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The idea here is that Christ, um, he is this, um, uh, he, gosh, it, there's so much here. I should, One day I'll do a whole video on this. Okay. But the idea is not that, okay, let's first eliminate the, the alternative, right? If, if, if the word means the Bible, then I'm saying the beginning was the Bible and the Bible was with God and the Bible was God. Well, that doesn't make sense. The Bible wasn't even written then. Okay. Um, God God gave them his word. He revealed his word. But there's a relationship between the word and Jesus in this. The word is revelation about God and Jesus is God revealing himself to us. God himself being the one revealing himself. So there's that, that parallel that's there right? The word reveals things to us, but Jesus is the revelation of God. So you can, you can use the term word because it's something God speaks. Jesus, he is, I am God right here with you. So there's that connection there, but there's a lot more to it that, that I don't have time to get into today. And i certainly don't have it off the top of my head, but it has to do with the term logos and what it meant to people at the time. Um, and it's really interesting stuff. Basically he's saying all that, that, um, all that God is, all that God is, um, is going to be represented in that in that concept of in the beginning was the word the word was with god and the word was god all right let's see here amy classen says could you tell Mike to check out the Beginning of Wisdom's channel? Oh, I meant to plug that channel, the Beginning of Wisdom, Andrew uh, Roberts, who, ga- who gave me a call and helped me understand the Hebrew Roots Movement a little bit better. And I was really grateful for him doing that. So I want to plug his channel, the Beginning of Wisdom. When I, when you get off here, you might go check out his channel. He has a bunch of videos dealing with specific questions about the Hebrew Roots Movement that might be of use to you. Um, and uh, yeah, so thanks, Andrew, for your help. And um, yeah, hope you guys go and check that out. Um, Kingdom Kids says, I'm so confused by this movement. My mom is deep into it. Uh, no Christmas and dietary restrictions and a Hebraic calendar, everything. I want to do everything I can to be close to Jesus. Is this movement the way? Um, no, it's not the way. Um, these are unnecessary restrictions and unnecessary things. They're not going to hurt you though. It's not going to hurt you to not celebrate Christmas. It's, it's not going to hurt you to have these dietary restrictions or to observe the Hebrew calendar. What will hurt you is thinking that this this is what makes you right with God. What will hurt you is when you go to Paul's writings and you have to reinterpret them or even reject Paul. Um, what will hurt you is is justifying that lifestyle when you have to go to Scripture and it seems to be like saying, "No, nah, that's not what I'm teaching you." <laughs> so that that could potentially cause you problems, and then it might cause you problems with your family. Um, I would say um, tread carefully. May God give you wisdom with dealing with your mother i certainly would observe all that stuff when i'm around her because i would do it if i was around a jewish person too i'm not going to hinder their conscience i'm not going to sit here and, and and do things that are deliberately offensive to them but um but no it's just not biblical please stick around come in next week i'm going to keep talking about this topic we're going to go to a bunch of scriptures uh, next weekend maybe the week after and then i'm going to move on to a bunch of stuff about the resurrection of jesus for a few weeks that should be awesome um all right, so I'll do a few more questions and we're going to call it a night. Our Wholesome Home says, have you heard of Philia Ministries? Uh, they claim to be saved by grace through faith alone, but just desire to walk out the Torah. Is this just another way of walking out one's faith or unbiblical? I think it's a sincere attempt to walk out your faith, but I also think it's unbiblical. I think it's genuine. I just think it's not not solidly biblical. And I'll explain in next week's video. Um, and I have heard of Philia Ministries, yeah. Um, How can I show love and support to my mother who is deeply embedded in this movement while maintaining my fundamental Christian values? Yeah, take on her convictions when you're around her, just like Paul says, to the Jew, I'm a Jew. To the Gentile, I'm a Gentile. To the Hebrew roots, be Hebrew roots. It doesn't mean you're agreeing with them. They they may even well know you disagree, but you're going to take on those outward things while you're around them to build a bridge so they can hear you as you talk to them. That's the idea. That'd be my encouragement. Um, And then... Plaster of Paris says, I hear the argument made often regarding the fourth commandment. How do we as Gentiles grafted into the vine handle the fourth commandment? Thank you, Mike and AJ. Um, I will do a video on that one of these days. I will. I will. Um, but it's not going to be just now. Um, I would say this. Um, read Colossians. Read Colossians. Four chapters. Take you 20 minutes. Tops. Read Colossians. Literally, it will answer your question. Um, okay. Okay. We're just about done, but I have a couple things I want to say. Um, just making sure there's another question here that's not super pressing, but we're just going over on time. So, uh, Leanne Wal- Waters says my sister and her husband believe these things, and their main Protestant their main protest against Paul is that he was not a true Jew, so he deceived his audience, and we can't trust him. Any proof of Paul's legitimacy for them? Oh yes, lots of proof, right? Like Peter um for instance like in the book of acts when the when the apostles put their hands upon him and they laid hands on him affirming his apostleship if you want christianity without paul um then something's something's seriously wrong seriously wrong um yeah so so other than paul's writings we have verification of who paul was but also we have the fact that the holy spirit's not going to give us um you know 13 13 apostate letters mixed in with the rest of our scriptures I mean I don't do you think God would do that to us I really don't Um, I honestly just don't believe God would do that Um, so thank you guys so much for being here it's been a pleasure and a privilege and I will get into more of these details I know that I'm leaving you a little hungry because um, as I was wanting to get into the doctrinal stuff I got mostly into a bunch of rhetoric and what I thought was problematic stuff but i realized this is why people are falling for this movement they go sin is lawlessness therefore you have to keep the torah and i'm like dude that's not how like english works or hebrew or greek for that matter like this is not right um and so i wanted to get into those issues and then we'll we'll talk next time about specific passages acts 15 and we'll talk about if we have time we'll talk about paul and all that next week if not we'll do it the following we'll get to all that stuff in following weeks and i will be watching the comments in, in this week to come in this video to see if there's thoughtful responses. Cause I also know this, the Hebrew roots movement, they police this is this stuff very carefully. I expect a refutation video to come up and I'm going to try to make the time to watch it and consider the things that they have to say. Hey, if you believe you're saved by faith alone, truly believe it. You're my brother and sister in Christ. I just think you've got some theology wrong here. And if you are part of the Hebrew roots movement and you have fellowshipping with you, people who do not, who deny the gospel of salvation by grace, You need to separate yourself from those people. Um, Regardless of whether or not you keep the law, you've got to separate yourself from those people. It's a major, major issue. All right. Please pass this on. I hope that it'll help somebody. It's been really good to have you guys, and I'll see you uh, next Tuesday.